Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 66 for Tuesday, December 6th, 2011. I am Bill Wadman. And I'm Dan Gottesman. And we're going to talk about triggers today. Yes. Specifically, flash triggers. Exactly. Uh, In the old days, it was cables. It was easy. Connection gets made. Flash goes off. There's a relay. But nowadays, it's all fancy and wireless. Yeah. The, uh... The state of the art these days is all about control. You know, although, hold on a second, because when I started playing with Alien Bees a few years ago, mm-hmm. like when I started, you know, six years ago, mm-hmm. um, I actually used a sync cable. I, I know a lot of people who use sync cables. Sync cables never fail. Yeah. Well, they do fail sometimes, but Very you can just rarely. get another sync cable. It's true. And yeah. they're cheap. Yeah. Um, and you can get them really long, too, like 20, 30 feet. Yeah, the I mean, especially if you're doing something that involves not moving the camera very much. Oh or yeah, not moving the lights in the studio, of course. Yeah, um, if I'm shooting here at home, I remember with the um, with the large format camera, sometimes it was easier to use a cable just because to hang a pocket wizard off of the large format camera just felt really silly to me. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. to go three feet over to the light. <laughs> you know, yeah, it just it's a little silly. It just yeah, but then I got into pocket wizards and and on the studio side and 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 into this uh, IR wireless stuff on the speed lights. Yeah, and it gets complicated fast. And the reason why we're kind of talking about this today is because last what was it Thursday? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan helped me out with uh, first of these December pictures I'm taking, where we were taking pictures of a. Very, very pregnant woman giving mock birth in the back of a car. Mock birth. Yeah. And we were having a hell of a time getting these things to trigger. Mm-hmm. In a way that I've never had a problem before with the IR stuff. Uh, usually I've had pretty good luck with it. Mm. Not outside in the middle of the afternoon, but like in a dark, you know, cavernous... Uh, parking garage? Parking garage where the lights were less than six feet away. I, You know, I've never had them not or at least not that bad. Um, and then we came up with a few interesting little tidbits too, about trying to add optical slaved lights into the system as well, which doesn't work for a number of reasons. So I guess let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Where do you um, want to start? Well, if we could, we could just talk about the situation that you had um, and what we, you know, what, what, what the ultimate facts, you know, what we found out about yeah. that. And I think the initial issue um, was it all wound up boiling down to batteries? Um, and I have a feeling what was hap- happening was that that's <clears throat> excuse me that second light that wasn't triggering reliably um, it was just not recharging fast enough. It wasn't recycling fast enough, yeah. and I have a feeling because it was on such low power, it wasn't hearing or seeing the uh, the yeah. TTL light pulses um, as as normally as it normally would if it was fully charged. Yeah, so wait, uh, back up a little bit. I was shooting with a 5D, and I had the little uh, Canon Speedlight transmitter thingy. Yeah, the little IR The thing. ST, whatever it is, yeah, mm-hmm. um, on the camera. And I had a 580 uh, Speedlight and a 550 Speedlight mm-hmm. uh, that we were using as my main things, which is what I usually carry in my bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, those Speedlights are not cheap. No, they're not, dude. I mean... 
even like the low end ones are at least like if we're talking about brand new, they're yeah. at least three hundred bucks. Yeah, which is kind of for this nuts. little tiny thing. Yeah, kind of crazy. I'm not a fan. No, um, but so so we were using the two of those, and but we kind of needed more than two lights. So we were thinking initially before we started, Dan brought along a couple of his, what are they, SB80s? Yeah, SB80DX is the official okay. name. But yeah, the Nikon SB80 uh, yeah. Speedlight. Classic. What is about seven or eight years old, right, these things? More than that, like 10, okay. 10 11 years old. Okay. Um, which, which the idea was those have optical slaves on them. The, th- the strange thing about the, the two, the Canon and Nikon have almost similar but largely different in their details flash systems okay uh the the all of the nikon do all of the nikons have a pc you know a a a sync connection they used to um nikon i think has a much better uh history as far as flash like professional useful flash products are 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 concerned um in that if you go back down the line like i i remember my first flash with my first nikon was the sb16 which was just this giant. It was huge. Um, although I, now, now in retrospect, it's actually not too far off from the current um, SB nine hundred nine ten sized thing. I mean, it, it's that's a that's a giant flash too. Yeah. Um, although the the nine hundreds are are way more powerful and way smarter. But anyway, the point is, um, even that old flash had uh, a PC connection on it, and it also had Nikon's proprietary three pin connection as well. Right. But uh, for those of you who don't know, PC connection on a flash allows you to plug in a sync cable or, or a pocket wizard or what have you to be able to just pop it remotely, not using any sort of Nikon system. Yeah. Somehow, miraculously, uh, a long time ago, the camera industry decided to standardize on a sync port, uh, and it's called PC, the letters PC. I can't remember what it, what it stands for, if it even stands I for anything. Know. But it's a really simple connection. I mean, and, and unfortunately... Because it's so old, it's really not that great. Um, one of its largest downfalls is that it's really, uh, I guess, loose. <laughs> um, like there's no, it's not a locking connection of any kind. It re- it just relies on friction. So when you put a PC connect, you know, cable into a PC socket on a camera or on a on a lens if it's a medium format, um, it, it 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 just sits in there. Uh, now some some lenses actually. Um, to Hasselblad's credits, uh, the the newer Hasselblad lenses have a neat little kind of push spring-loaded locking mechanism to lock the PC cord in there. Uh, and then there's some, you know, proprietary or some upgraded PC connectors that have screw, you know, screw receptacles so that you can actually put it in and screw it down. Yeah. But the default is just a really simple, short, you know, pin in the middle with a little collar around it, and, and that's it. Which is still what you're using if you're shooting medium format and have a pocket wizard plugged into your camera or a sync cable. It's usually one of those on the lens. It's true. Um, and by the way, the uh, the answer to what it's why it's called that is it's Prontor Compor. Oh, of course, Prontor Compor. Yeah, yeah. Which are two. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> well, I think they were they were companies that made uh, the lenses. Oh, well, good for them. Sounds German or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Anyway, but yeah, that's been around forever, and uh, a lot of the Nikon flashes have this on there. So you can basically use your uh, Nikon flashes as battery-powered monolights. Well, the the old ones do. Okay. Um, so the new I ones say, don't. Well, that see, Nikon got hip, and about I guess if I had to guess, I, I don't. Wanna, I'm not looking it up, but I'm, I think the SB600 
which was actually the first flash that I bought new um, when I had a D70, um, was Nikon's, one of their first, like, intentionally crippled lower-end flashes, where, where they decided that, you know, we're going to save the 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 higher-end functions and features for our higher-end products to entice people to buy them. Right. So they would, you know, intentionally... And a PC leave. socket was a high-end feature? Apparently. Because, obviously, it's, it's not like a it's not like a terrible piece of, te- you know, terribly difficult piece of uh, technology to implement on anything, but they decided the, to leave it off. The problem is, is that a lot of just be- the high end ones are usually the most powerful and the biggest, mm-hmm. but a lot of times you don't need a big flash or you don't want a big powerful flash. You just need a flash with a sink port, you know, it's true. Um, and you know, the, the irony of the thing is that the first Canon flash to have it, I think was my SB 80. Um, Wait, you don't have an S. There's no or not an SB80. My uh, uh, 580. 580, right? Was that's the first cr- Canon to have a port. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, th- then there is there is some logic to it because I, I know Nikon did this, and I'm pretty sure Canon did this too. They made a pretty sizable investment in hot shoe based cabling, and um, like for years, you could get special cables that just took advantage of the flash's hot shoe connection for synchronization. So you mm-hmm. now, and let's talk about hot shoes for a second. Sure. Um, I think cameras, uh, SLRs have had hot shoes for a pretty long time. And that, that, that was a pretty cool innovation in flash and synchronization technology. Um, I think that, that probably, those probably started appearing on cameras in the late sixties. Um, the Nikon F, um, which was like it, you know the flagship SLR from them. They they actually did have a hot shoe, but it wasn't a traditional conventional looking hot shoe back then because that was it was still new, you know, and there was no standard. And it's a wider, more actually in my opinion, a more stable um, connector. And it was uh, located on the left side of the camera over the rewind over the film rewind uh, knob. So it was still you know like a, you know a pair of little rails. And then you'd, you'd slide your accessory on there and then screw it down. And, you know, Nikon made cables and, and flashes for that uh, for that connector for years. And the Nikon F3 was the last camera to, to, to feature that. And then the, the, the replacement, the F4, was the first F-series camera um, to have a hot shoe on the prism. You know, the traditional hot shoe yeah. that we've all come to know and love. And nowadays, they, a lot of some of these new <clears throat> electronic viewfinder cameras, actually, you can put viewfinders onto the hot shoe of the camera. Yeah, well, that, that the correct? problem with that is that you can't use a flasher, there's no, and there's no sync port or anything like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, the, the, the hot shoe, that standard, the little whatever, it's like about, what is it, an inch squared, maybe? Maybe a little less? Yep. Um, that, that, that little format has, has proliferated everywhere. I mean, video cameras yeah. have it. Um, yeah. I've seen you know all kinds of random accessories but um, you, but there usually there's the center pin which is the one that actually pops pretty much any flash and then there's ex- like auxiliary pins that are proprietary to the company right they talk to the the company's own flashes to do all the through the lens stuff all the TTL stuff right um, which we'll get to in a second right um, but it's but the I guess the the practical upshot of this is that for my shoot the other night we figured okay we have my two flashes, my two Canon flashes syncing off of the little IR thing on my camera. Right. To that, we could add uh, some of uh, Dan's flashes. And one of the other things the SB80 does not only have the little PC port, 
it also have an optical slave in them. So if they see a flash, they flash. Yeah, very cool. Um, which is great. The problem is, is that <laughs> TTL uh, flashing mm-hmm. flash stuff mm-hmm. basically works like this. The camera tells Wait, the... What's, f- what's TTL stand for? Through the lens. Ah. So the idea is you're metering... Uh, you're you're metering the exposure through what the actual camera sees through the lens, and when it comes to flashes, what happens is that the camera says, "Hey, flash, bounce off a certain amount of light, some standard amount of light," and then the camera watches and gets the exposure through the lens, and then sets all of its settings and the power of the flash so that it exposes the real thing microseconds later. So basically, there's a a pre-flash. That it uses to measure, and then it does the real flash, which it gives you the right amount of power for the picture you're trying to take. Which, um, if you think about it, is kind of amazing. It's a really cool idea, and and it does it like really fast. Really and that's, fast. What, that's one of the reasons why when you take a picture nowadays, back when you were a kid in the '70s or whatever it is, and somebody had like one of those little flash uh, cubes on their polar, you know, on their little Kodak yeah, camera, it's great. just it's just pop. Yep. And now it's now they kind of go pop pop pop. And that kind of stuff, or pop, pop. It's like a flam. It's like, yeah, prop, prop. You, yeah. you see two quick strobes back to back. Exactly. And the first one is just to meter, and the second one is the one that actually takes the picture. Right. The problem was that these things are happening fast, but they're not that fast. Um, they're not, you know, 160th of a second fast. Um, so what was happening was that uh, the Nikon slaves we had set up were, were popping on the pre-flashes, not on the actual flashes. You know, actually, I was watching, and they were flashing on both. Um, okay. But, it, but I have a feeling because of the timing, uh, it wasn't... It wasn't registering every single time because I it was think frustrating. If you, yeah, if you go back to your 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 shots, there yeah. there are going to be a couple of them where they were on because I yeah. remember I remember watching them, you know, like because especially when they're on low power, like we had some of them set to like down to one sixty fourth or whatever. Yeah. Um. And and I can, I mean, you can you can fire those flashes really really fast at that speed at that yeah. power. Um. So they were definitely keeping up, but but not every time. Yeah, and, and and it was very frustrating because we thought we had a really good system. Yeah. Um, now the question is whether uh, TTL or ETTL or what is what is Canon calls it ETTL? What is uh, Nikon called? Nikon has a, a, a ITTL. Brand, well, they have a brand name for it. It's called the Creative Lighting System or okay, CLS. Right. right. Okay. The idea is that each company has their own proprietary system for determining what the actual correct exposure should be. Right. But basically. They're just branding what we just explained. Yeah. Um, now we. The funny thing is, is that there aren't. There are plenty of times when I will use my flash like that. On a shoot, I'll set it up into an umbrella, and I'll pop and I'll use uh, the Canon the flash exposure compensation to pull it up or down, mm-hmm. like in the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, to control the whole thing, mm-hmm. and it works fine. And mm-hmm. if you're just using one flash or a second flash, and they can all see each other very easily, it works fine. Easy peasy. Yeah. Um, you could alternately use them in manual mode, so you determine the level of the flash, just like if you had a mono light, mm-hmm. um, and trigger them. However, I don't know about the Nikon system, but the Canon system, I can't trigger with the IR... Once it's in IR slave mode, it's mm-hmm. automatically in ETTL. And as far as I know, you can't take it out of ETTL. Uh, you're, so talking the flash, you're talking about the flash. The flash. Point. So I can't, set the, I can't say, be a slave to the IR transmitter to flash when I tell you to, 
but I want to control you manually. Like oh, really? Yeah, sixty fourth or whatever. I, I think that you know what I, I think you're right. That's correct. The, the same? Ni- no, is it not, the same Nikon? No, Nikon is a little bit uh, more flexible. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, with Nikon stuff, you have depending on the camera and the flash, uh, I think up to four groups. Either three, it's either three or four, um, and you can control a ton of stuff. Um, I know that you were telling me how the Canon system does this whole ratio. Yeah, so the thing. Canon system doesn't have four zones; it just has two A and B. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that instead of setting, instead of saying I want the flash A or flash group A to come down a half a stop or a stop, you compared to the other one, you actually just do it all in ratios. You say, I want B flashes to be two to one power against A. Right. And that kind of stuff. Or four to one which or, is, or whatever. Which is really old school. I mean, that's that's the yeah, way studio packs were originally designed. Right. So you would do that, and then you could also control the whole level of the entire lighting output in general with a flash, ex- flash exposure compensation. So you could set two to one, B to A, and then you could say flash exposure down one stop. And so right. both of them would come down an extra stop. Right. It's, it's a little awkward, but, you know, it's one of those things where if you're not really watching all of the ratios and worrying about the distances and that kind of stuff it, it's doing a lot of that work for you the problem is sometimes it doesn't do it right <laughs> yeah you know so it's 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 a double-edged sword yeah on um, and then just to just to sort of fill in the gap the uh, the nikon system and i'm not 100 percent sure about this because i don't use it myself but if i if i remember correctly um it, in addition it, you've got um it's a, like a three by three grid where you've got like group a, B, and C, and then I think you can have. Jeez, I think you can have as many flashes in those groups as you want. Yeah, I um, think Canon's the same, I think. which is kind of cool. Um, and then uh, when you're using the auto exposure, like you know, mode on the camera, it just sort of figures it out, and you can literally just you know on the camera use the exposure compensation you know for the flash and say, oh, I want everything to be plus one or minus one stop, or I think you can yeah. even do it up to third of a stop in third of a stop increments. But then you can also go back onto the actual. So here, what's cool about the the Nikon system is that um, there's two different ways. Well, in some ways, three different ways that you can control or command, as they call uh, as they call it, um, the, the the CLS system. Um, on the lower end cameras, um, like the even my old D70 had this, if I can remember correctly, cameras that had built-in flashes, little pop-up built-in flash. Um, those could control up to two groups. Um, and you can basically just have a little built-in pop-up flash, and then you could tell it um, to do them uh, manually or or TTL. And it was a bit of a hassle because you had to go into the camera's menu system to do it, so it wasn't optimal. Um, the next thing that they did was they came out with this, with essentially the same thing that Bill was talking about for the Canon system um, on the Nikon. Uh, it's the SU800, which essentially is like looks like a, a flash that got chopped in half. Um, and it sits on the hot shoe, and it's got a little LCD screen and a bunch of buttons on it, and that lets you manage your groups and 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 how they behave. Um, and then the the third way, and this is new as of the the SB800, and you know the 900, and then the 700, and now this and the 910, uh, also allow the option for the the flash itself to act as the commander. In addition, right, and you can you can. You can have the flashes do it on Canon as well. In fact, they're probably more powerful to control the other flashes from the flash on your hot shoe than it would be to use the little transmitter thing. Because the transmitter thing's been out forever, and it's very low tech. 
Yeah. So, um, so it's not unusual for for some Nikon people to like who don't want to make the investment in the SU eight hundred to just have you know two or three of their actual flashes and then just put one of them on the camera. Yeah. And, and you can even have it so that the flash on the camera isn't isn't even participating in the exposure. It's right. just doing the the pre flash and then the the control part. It's a very part. expensive transmitter. It is, but it's also flexible because then you know you can yeah. uh, you can take it off or put it on the cable or or you know optically triggered or whatever. Do you but, know uh, if the yeah. the Nikon transmitter only thing also puts out autofocus light? Well, it uh, I, I think so. Does I it mean, beam it, out the little I IR beams? I don't I don't know. I know it is because I IR I know that based. a lot of people use the Canon one as an autofocus thing in low light. So if they're shooting in a club or something like that, mm. they can use that to just and it you know puts out those little the little grid of the red little LED grid. So it has something to focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've um, seen that. You see that look kind of that weird like you know yeah like blinking you know crosshairs or something exactly yeah so a, a lot of people use the canon transmitter not even to pop their lights but just to use it as a uh, focus, focus assist yeah. yeah you can do the same thing um with the nikon flashes too and you put a, a any nikon any modern nikon flash that you know that supports autofocus on a on the hot shoe you can have it you know there's a switch for that like yeah. i think it's called af assist or something like that yeah it's uh it's uh it's pretty handy little trick definitely um so so these are two completely different systems uh but they are they're similar see it's weird they're similar in so many ways and then they're completely different in so many ways well you're talking about nikon versus canon <laughs> yeah yeah it's true uh that you know and and so what i've actually been thinking about doing based upon our information from the other night would mm-hmm. be to um Get rid of one of my, the older one of my flashes. Like, keep one of them mm-hmm. for my own stuff, or keep them both or whatever. Yeah. Bu- and buy some SB80s just to use as battery-powered mono lights in, in manual mode, uh, synced, uh, triggered via some of those little Paul Buff things. Yeah, there's, you know, there's another option that you could also consider, um, something I forgot to mention before. Um, so, obviously, this whole small flash triggering thing has been really popular thanks to our friend David Hobby, the strobist, um, who has been, you know, fueling that fire for the past five years. And um, he actually teamed up with his preferred camera vendor, uh, which is this company called Midwest Photo Exchange. And they contracted this uh, manufacturer called LumoPro, which is essentially like an in-house, you know, I think it's, you know, Chinese-based um, brand. And they came out with a pretty slick-looking flash product called the LP160. Okay. And it was it's basically... <clears throat> sorry, I'm a little <clears throat> congested here. Anyway, um, it's basically, like, designed for people who want to shoot manually. Um, and what's cool about it is that it has um, a built-in eighth-inch jack so that you know it's a nice it's it's a, you know superior connector in my opinion to the, the standard pc connector um which is the same connector that you find on the back of like you know alien bees and some of the other flashes so you can use just a regular little headphone cable to go from your pocket wizard to the flash itself um which is nice it also has a standard pc jack but it also like the sb80s and all the, you know all the other high-end nikon flashes it also has a built-in optical slave and brand new the thing only costs 160 bucks Interesting. So now, you know, you can try your luck and find SB80s on eBay 
for, you know, I think the cheapest one I ever bought was maybe $110. Um, but since they've gotten more popular over the years, the average price is closer to $150. Uh, although I just picked up one for 125 a couple months ago. Uh, but that's because I have a little search, you know, trolling, and I've I've been keeping an eye on it for the past, you know, month, or for, for months and months and months. So, you know, unless you're doing that, you know, your odds of finding a good deal are not so great. Um, but the... Um, but the this 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 new one, uh, I've heard really good things about. In fact, I know th- th- there's this guy named Jason Group, who okay. recently set the world record for the most small strobes used in one exposure. I think he used 300 of these things. Okay, that's just silly. It is silly. But uh, and you can actually buy one of the 300 on the uh, on on their website because you know they're reselling them. Um, but anyway, we'll include a link to that in the notes if you want to check it out. But if you know if you if you don't want to deal with eBay and you want to just buy something brand new. And you know you're 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 you know you're cool with, with doing it manual. Um, this is a, a really great alternative. Uh, what are they called? It's the LP160 Lumo Pro. I see it there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really generic looking. You know, it's not it's yeah. not a pretty you know. Divide. I wonder how how well they've they'd hold up because yeah. you know the, the Canon flashes they feel solid. Oh yeah. As well, do so the Nikon. The Nikon ones. Yeah, the Nikon's. I've had I've had at least I want to I want to say at least five different times when those things have taken a dive from the top of a stand and one out of those five times it didn't you know something bad happened <laughs> yeah um yeah. but for the most part the nikon stuff is very durable i can't i can't speak to the durability of these guys yeah uh so that gets us into triggering if you're going to be using something some generic thing like non um manufacturer kind of thing now the 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 big boys in this world is pocket wizards yeah, uh, which are now owned by the same company that owns Profoto, I think. Oh, really? The Mac Group. Yeah, Mamiya um, and a bunch of other companies too. The problem with um, the Profo- the uh, Pocket Wizard stuff is that they're crazy expensive. It's true. Uh, the The lowest end thing, which is their uh, what is it called? The old school Pocket Wizard Plus Two. Plus Two. Yeah, yeah. that's what I use. Okay, yeah, me too. Um, they're very reliable. They pop every time. Unless and, one and let's, of broken, and let's be like honest. Mine. I mean, that's that's kind of a big deal, man. I mean, the, one of nope, the reasons why they they're do. they're so um, ubiquitous, the, the reason why they've been around for so long, and why everybody uses them is because they're really reliable, man, and yeah. they're solid. I mean, I've dropped those things for yeah. Jesus, tons of times. But I do think that part of why they're still around is that they've always been around. You yeah. know what I mean? They're yeah. sort of like the brand that's been ingrained in the in the industry. It's true. Um, but they charge one hundred and eighty, hundred ninety dollars for. Is that what they are? Yeah, Two hundred like bucks. One sixty nine is the list price. Or okay. is, not the list price, but that's that's like the if you Street walk price. into you know B and H and say I want a pocket wizard, they'll right. say we here one seventy. So it's literally a little plastic box with a little antenna at the top mm-hmm. and a couple of jacks. Yep. Um, and, and here's a the, here's spot the for a couple batteries. Here's the kicker. It doesn't really do you any good unless you have more than one. <laughs> right. You have to have at least two because, yeah. you know, that's the whole thing. Right. So at, the, at, at its most basic, you're going to spend $400 to get going for two of them. Yep. Um, and it really, they really do feel like almost nothing when you hold them. Oh, I wouldn't and say they, that, man. I, feel, I think they feel really solid. Well, no, they feel solid, but they're so light and they're pro- they're mostly hollow. I mean, you you have to imagine that those things cost them maybe five dollars a piece to make. Well, maybe now they do, but they probably yeah. spent a ton of money in R and D developing them back in the day. What are you, an apologist for the I'm drug just companies? Being logical, dude. I'm explaining it to you. Okay, yeah, twenty years ago they worked on the thing. I st- I still think that they're making like four hundred million percent profit on those things because people are going to pay for them. Um, it's true, supply and demand. It, it, 
it bothers me that they cost that much because I can't afford that many of them. Um, <laughs> well, they, they, they do appear on eBay from time to time used as well. Maybe. Yeah, they do. And they make, uh, on top of the really basic one, they had one a couple of years ago called the Multimax. Oh, yeah. That's a great which, one. Which, if you have a bunch of them, what does it allow you to do? It allows oh, you to trigger certain ones, certain cool groups, things. and not other groups. If but you can't control the lights from there, can you? No. Um, right. But it, it it does give you tremendous flexibility when you're dealing. If you have all multi-maxes, uh, yeah. you can do some kind of insane stuff with timing right. and remotes. And, and, and then the right. other really important thing. Some for, second curtain sync and some first and yeah. probably all that kind of um, stuff. Well, I saw one of the coolest applications for that I've ever seen was um, it was in a sports capacity. Um, one other really neat thing that Pocket Wizards allow you to do uh, is they make a, a cable that allows you to... Uh, trigger the camera's shutter. So you, in, in addition, you know, in addition to, you can actually do both. You can actually have the same pocket wizard trigger a strobe and the shutter of a camera. So for guys who do remote camera uh, situations like um, like sports, you know, like I'm sure we've all seen, you know, like uh, the at the Olympics, you know, at the finish line, there's this giant, there's this huge rail, you know, 30 foot long rail with, a, you know, like 50 cameras on it, you know, all, you know, automatically aimed at the finish line so that those those photographers get that finish line shot um or you know in basketball where the, you know they'll put a, the camera like uh, on the ground or sometimes or up, they'll, up they'll on fix the it rim. on the backboard yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> anyway um what's really cool is um so th- this guy was tr- i think he was covering um some home run record like mark mcguire or sammy sosa or something like sure. that back in the you know whatever 5 years ago however long ago it was and uh he had 3 um, of the whatever the Canon, I guess it was the 1D Mark II or whatever their fastest thing was. The camera was able to shoot at um, 10 frames a second. Okay. Um, and so he got three of these cameras with the same lens, spent some time calibrating them and lining them all up so they were pointing at the exact same spot, which is not that hard with that. You know, I think they had like a four or 500 millimeter lens on it. So when you're, when you're dealing with a lens that long, getting them all framed identically is not, you know, it's not that big of a challenge. So he had these three cameras all pointed at the same, you know, convergence um, on home plate. And then he had the Pocket Wizard Multimax set up um, with timing such that he was able to do 30 frames per second um, up, up between the three cameras. He had them cascading so that, you know, they would go one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, you know, effectively getting him 30 frames per second at, you know, the quality of the of the one D and again, this sure. was like, you know, again, five or six years ago, a while ago. So this is before, you know, what we have now with the digital cinema cameras, like, you know, the reds and some of these other, you know, higher end or the five D Mark two or whatever. Sure. But, uh, I thought that was a really clever, clever trick. You know, what would have been cool is if he had one on each, if he put a bunch of cameras all the way around him and had it <laughs> fire all in things. So he could do like a matrixy kind of thing. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, in theory, you could do that with the Multimax, yeah. but that would be a really, really pricey venture. Right. So yeah. when it comes to the Multimax, that seems like a very niche product. Yeah. And the other cool thing about it is that it also has way more frequencies than the traditional four frequencies of the original Pocket Wizard. So like if you're a sports guy and you're at a stadium, you know <laughs> there's going to be more than four photographers there using Pocket Wizard. So, you right. know, they have these insane like 16-digit, you know, frequencies that are very, very specific that you can you can even like send them to Pocket Wizard and like claim, you know, they'll give you a custom one for your whole set, which is kind of yeah. cool. And those are $300 a piece. Yeah, they're not cheap. 
Um, and now Pocket Wizards have Pocket Wizard has come out with those. What are those other ones called? The T, the TT system, I think it is. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that they will do TTL metering and all the stuff that your camera would do is as if your flash was connected to your camera, except wirelessly between the camera and the flash. Somewhere so else. let's talk about that for a quick second. So um, as we've already discussed, Nikon and Canon both have their own very similar but different proprietary smart flash protocols, you know, the TTL protocol, which basically takes advantage of it. Like we said, it does this whole pre-flash thing and then uses that duration to measure the exposure and then send the proper um, flash, you know, information to the other flashes, uh, you know, in the group so that they behave properly. Now, it'll do that if the flash is on the camera. It'll do that if the flash is on a cable. Doesn't matter. And it'll do that if you do the wireless uh, IR stuff. Right. The the, the key there, though, is that that whole system is based on line of sight and the ability for the flashes to to see one another. And in in certain situations, uh, especially when you're outdoors or at larger distances or when there's other things going on, um, that that takes a very pretty steep dive and it becomes much, much less reliable. So a couple of years ago, and I, the first people I ever saw um, do what I'm about to talk about uh, are the folks at Radio Popper. So these, these guys, uh, I think they're in California or Seattle somewhere, they sort of figured out a way using, you know, the original, I think the very first generation Radio Poppers were really ghetto style and you literally um, gaff-taped um, yeah. uh, 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 like a fiber optic light pipe style cable to the uh, TTL sensor to the little IR sensor on the flash uh, to the radio and then the other way around on the other end. And what, what it would do is it would basically intercept the TTL control signal and then translate it into the you know radio signal, radio it to the trans the receiver and then retranslate it back into the, the control signal so that the light could read it properly. Um, and in theory, it worked great, but that first, I remember that first run was, was a bit dodgy because, you know, there was this, you know, ghetto style. This was like three years ago. At least, at least. Um, I seem to remember some video of them shooting outside by a beach or something. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, but the, the, I mean, it's a neat idea. I just think that that was a little too kludgy. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a little you know, it was a, it was like more of a proof of concept. So right. since since that concept got introduced, um, Pocket uh, Pocket Wizard picked up on that, and Radio Popper continued working on it. And now those two companies are making this really slick technology. And it took Pocket Wizard a long time. They 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 they, they decided to standardize on the Canon system first because there are more Canon shooters out there than Nikon. Um, and the the Canon system had been around for at least two years before that. I think the Nikon system well, it's probably only, a more simple system too. Uh, maybe, yeah, it could be. Um, but, but the idea is that you're just you're taking all the data that's going in and out of the hot shoe and in and out of the flash and remotely transmitting it between the two. Yeah. So what's cool about the po- the, the the Pocket Wizard system is that it doesn't um, it doesn't require any uh, you know it, it, you just stick the thing on your hot shoe. And and it just just and it just works. So my guess too is that the Pocket Wizard people wanted to get it right because their name is on, you know, if their name is yeah. on it and it says Pocket Wizard, exactly. it's got to work exactly. Yeah. So the uh, the other interesting sort of side benefit bonus from this system that I, again I think Radio Popper were the first to implement 
was the ability to control the power, uh, the actual output of the Flash manually. Um, and the way they did that, again, with, with the Nikon system, Nikon, um, actually both Nikon and Canon, I think, have proprietary three or four pin cable connectors that are designed to be used with, you know, high, high, you know, whatever, the high frequency um, battery packs, you know, that, that sort of offlay the internal battery and in so that you can sure. you plug in like a quantum battery or some other large higher capacity battery for faster recycle rates. But on the Nikon system, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Canon one does this. It also, there's, there's a, one, of, one of the functions that that little connector provides is what they call a squelch, which allows you to um, adjust the duration of the flash, effectively adjusting the power of the flash. So what you can do um, with the higher end radio popper system, there's actually, you know, three little groups that you, you can assign your radio poppers to, you know, group one, two or three and however many you want. And then you, you can tell them, you know, I want this group to be firing at full power and this group to be firing at, you know, half power and then this one to be at uh, 16th or whatever. Um, and it, it basically plugs into the, the flash directly. And then what's really cool is they they made, you know, adapters for all of the main popular flash providers, you know, Nikon, Canon, um, and then even even Alien Bees and White Lightning, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So finally, you know, two years later, uh, Pocket Wizard c- came around, and now, now they're doing the same basic thing, but it is, you know, twice as expensive. Right. Um, yeah. The, the downside to the Pocket Wizard stuff, again, as Bill had mentioned, is, is that it's just really, it's really cost prohibitive. For yeah. Some so these, these, these TT5 system, TT1 system, or whatever it is, the Pocket Wizards are... 219 for the transceiver, which are the ones you need on the flashes, right? Well, and I think then, they don't even make uh, just just receivers anymore. Yeah, they? they they make transceivers and then they make a transmitter. So, oh right, the transmitter is like the right. one that allows you to do controls and stuff, right? Right. So that that one's like two hundred dollars for the transmitter, and then you need one two hundred and twenty dollar thing for each flash. Yeah, which which can be as much as you're paying for your flashes. It's true. Um, I guess the thing that Dan and I drives us nuts is that. It's almost as if, okay, people, I understand there's probably some, you know, uh, annoying uh, bureaucratic reasons why you don't want to get involved in the radio stuff, but Canon and Icon should start putting radio transmitters in the camera and receivers in the flashes. Like, why do it line of sight when you could just have a little low-powered thing in there and not have to worry about spending? I'd spend an extra $500 on my camera if I didn't have to buy $1,000 worth of these things to make it work, you know, the flash work. Um, I just think it's kludgy. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and you know, and people stick. The only thing about the the uh, pocket wizard stuff is that, especially with the old school stuff, people would stick pocket wizard receivers in all kinds of stuff. Profoto had them in their battery powered. They still uh, do packs. Yeah, yeah. high end uh, high end Profoto stuff have little antennas coming out of them. Exactly, um, which are like like sort of uh, pocket wizard ready. No, and, they're, they're um, on the pocket wizard frequency. And same thing with the Sakonic. Uh, Meters. Oh, right. Yeah, light those meters. light meters would have the built-in transmitter so that, you, you right. know, when you're testing your exposure, you just push the yeah. button and it off it goes. Again, it's, the, I mean, there's nothing that I have a Sakonic, a low-end one that I just plug my pocket wizard into and it works fine. Right. Um, but, you know, for some people, that's that's another thing they want to do. It's nice. Um, yeah. Uh, but this stuff's expensive. And, and personally, I don't want to spend $1,000 on radio transceivers. <laughs> Um, yeah, I so, mean, it really boils down to how how big of a deal it is for you. You know, yeah. for some people, if I mean, if you think about it, they can't afford for it not to. You know, they can't afford for it sure. to be 
you know, dodgy. And, like, the difference, like, if you need someone to, you know, let's say you're just by yourself or it's just you and your one assistant and you've got six lights up and you need to adjust the yes. the different power levels, it's, it's a question of sending the guy around, running around, adjusting the backs of each of the flash yeah. versus but having it all the- at the camera. The Joe McNallys who are actually shooting with six or seven six or seven speed lights all manually controlled, I think that that is a very small minority. No, he doesn't do manual. People. Joe's the the king of TTL. Oh, he does all about, the TTL stuff. Yeah, you're okay. talking about strobist. Um, okay, yeah, he but does it, it just, all manually. Just the idea of I mean, I love the idea of doing it manually, but the and I am fine with doing that. But I think I think to say that everyone needs to be able to control all their lights from their camera is is kind of silly i mean like the, the amount of people are yes there are people who need to do that but it is the minority of people who need i would to do agree that. yeah I would, I, like i said it's just a new trend it's it's right. the latest most trend. people it's it's another way to sell you gear yeah one <laughs> uh, of the um one of the cooler things i i think that that no other flash company that i can think of does is you know this is the paul c buff innovation and he implemented a really simple um wire-based connector using a standard telephone rj11 you know, jack on the back of all of his units, all the all the white lighting and all the Alien B flash products have an RJ11 telephone jack on the back of them. And you can use standard off the shelf telephone wire, which can be run for hundreds of feet um, to his this little like handheld size, like it's like the size of a television remote control um, with a couple of faders on it just like the faders that are on the back of the units. Uh, and then you can use that to control all your flashes. So I picked one of those up. Um, I found a good deal on it on eBay. And I use it from time to time in, in a complicated setup, like in a studio setup where I've, you know, I've got more than more than three or four lights and I just, I don't want to, you know, let's say I've got one way up in the air on a, on a, a you know, on a stand that, you know, I'm not going to, in fact, I've actually just used it with one light um, a couple of times when I do get that, that, you know, that big light all the way up in the air. Sure. Because, you know, you don't have to lower it to, just no, to adjust handy. it. So, you know, you, you basically put this thing on the end of the phone cable and then you've got it. You've got a little remote control for it, and then you can stick your pocket wizard in that. And then that one, that one remote control will pop all of the flashes that are plugged into it. Uh, the only problem with that is that you you could end up with a real rat's nest of wires. Correct, because phone cables do not uh, store well. Well, you know, you, you can, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. The longer they get, the 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 the, the, the more unruly they get. That's the, that's the truth. Um, and the, the, now explain something to me because I have some alien bees and a white lightning. If so, once you plug in the RJ11 jack, it bypasses whatever controls. It completely on the ignores the Correct. controls on the camera. Yeah, just okay. just like uh, the, the way flash. you know flying faders and you know control sure. surfaces work. Same thing. Okay, I got you. Um, yeah, that's it's handy. I, it, it is a slick technology. The one thing that Buff needs to work on is the interface design because their stuff's really ugly a lot of times. Like that that little remote control thing you're talking about. Yeah, looks like you know it was bought at Radio Shack. It's well, that's but that's Paul C. Buff, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All well, of I his understand. Products have a slight, you know, I you know I would I, the the analogy I would say is like American cars. You know, yeah, <laughs> um, American cars are great, but they just there's something about them that they don't look quite as sexy as you know German cars. True. Yeah, or Japanese cars. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, but one thing they do have is they have a new. Uh, wireless trigger system yeah. called CyberSync. Well, yeah. So the CyberSync system has been around for a couple of years. That was this is this is Paul C. Buff's answer to Pocket Wizard. Um, what's really cool though is that they they have a new computer controlled version of CyberSync that does allow you to do from the camera remote control stuff, especially when you're using their new top end uh, the Einstein Cyber Commander. Yes, the Cyber Commander. Um, 
which is kind of cool. It's got like a little LCD um, display on it with, you know, with cool looking icons and numbers and stuff. Uh, it's like a little baby iPhone that sits yeah. on top of your camera and, uh, and you can control all your flashes from it, which is pretty slick. Somebody should make a little thing that pops into the bottom of the iPhone that does the transmitting and then create an app for the phone. That would be a cool idea. You know, I was just talking to you. Uh, so another company out there that uh, is playing the the synchronization game is a company uh, called Ellen Chrome, and they have their own proprietary uh, sync system called Skyport. So if you're using all Ellen Chrome products, you can get their Skyport transmitter for your camera and then Skyport transceivers for the flashes. And what's really cool is the latest version of it has an iPhone client. So you can literally, it, it, it does it, it basically takes it all to Wi-Fi. So um, they all speak Wi-Fi and, and that you can control your flashes that way. In fact, and I think the first company to do that, if I'm not mistaken, was Profoto. The very latest high-end Profoto stuff, I think the 8 series, mm-hmm. um, the Air protocol, um, has a slick system that uses a USB, uh, like a proprietary USB dongle and some software so that let's say you're like this tremendously, you know, big, big time studio and you've got like, you know, 18 of these packs and, you know, dozens and dozens of heads and, you know, all this random crap. And you can have like just jillions of groups and settings and stuff and control it all from your computer using Wi-Fi, which is really slick yeah, and preposterously cool. expensive. <laughs> um, I just, you know, again, these are these there's probably 300 people in the world who need that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, um, it's not exactly in high demand. Yeah, it, it, you get to a certain point with flashes, and even Strobus does this some, from time to time. Because you know what? Hmm. To be honest, I don't think his own photographs are all that great. Uh, you know, to each his own. Um, he's definitely he's got a look. I can pick his stuff out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, but it's not like ooh, look at ooh, I want to. You could, a picture like you could that. say that about anybody. I mean, you could say the same yeah, thing about so. Joe McNally or, or Annie Leibovitz or whatever. I mean, not everybody, you know. You could say that about Joe McNally, yes. Yeah, not everybody takes the greatest pictures in the world. You know? True. But uh, but I guess my thing is that some people, you could you can fetishize on all this stuff to a very unreasonable degree. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think everyone needs to back up and say, what do I actually need to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish? Yeah. Um, for me... I would love to have four. This is my current thought. Mm-hmm. If I had four SB80s with the low end buff cyber sinks, which are cheap, mm-hmm. um, the transmitters are $60 and the receivers are like $70. It's probably the other way around. No, it's, it's that way. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, so for the price of one pocket wizard, I could get a you know, transmitter and two receivers, which is um, great. Yeah. And, and, and run them these things, this whole setup and it would be nice and, and handy and everything would be uh, radio wireless. So it wouldn't be line of sight yep. and I could manually control the power of the different flashes. You'd have to by walking up to the flashes and adjusting them, yeah, but that's sure, not the end of but, the world. But right. that, what you just described is my preferred setup. I mean, we've talked, I think we've talked about this before, but sure. I have a little lunchbox sized bag that contains, um, up well, I think I have as many as six now. I can't remember. I have at least five um, SB80s, which again I got all for around a hundred to hundred fifty bucks each. I actually wound up eventually accumulating four pocket wizards. I have one of the I I, I found a, a deal on on a transmitter only on eBay for like old school, yeah, for like a hundred bucks. So that just sits on the camera. And then I I did pick up. I found a guy who cut me a really good deal and basically gave me 
two for the price of three for the price of two um, pocket wizards, um, which, you know, once you get them there, you know, they're pretty much good forever. Sure. Um, Although I have one that's acting weird. Remember? Well, I, th- I think you just need to change the batteries on that thing. Yeah, we got to we got to do a little test. But um, so so I've got the, the four lights, the there are four lights. Um, and then I've got the uh, sorry, had, had to do that. Um, the the pocket wizards and then there's still plenty of room for like you know extra batteries yeah. a couple of grids um the diffuser domes a uh, little hot shoe cold shoe adapters yeah. um so that i can stick them on tripods and and clamps and stuff like you know it, it's and it's just yeah. really nice to have like a fully functioning four light kit that you can pretty much stick anywhere you know between sure. little tripods and clamps and sticking on tops of stands and stuff it's and it fits in my bag you know it weighs like what 10 pounds not even yeah and uh, the thing about the 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 little buff receivers is that they're like one fourth the size of a pocket wizard. It seems. I think they only run on one battery. I think that's their secret. Yeah, and uh, apparently that's the other thing about the pocket wizards that drives me nuts. They do. If you leave them on, it chews down the battery. It does. Like if you forget yeah, you for wanna, a couple hours, you don't want to leave them on. Yeah, they they go fast. Especially where apparently the buff ones turn themselves off after an hour if they don't hear a signal. That's cool. Yeah, that's smart. Um, and I've read some reviews, and they go four hundred feet. Yeah, which is plenty. Or, you know, all the way from the roof to the basement. Yeah, from do- end zone to floors. end zone in a football game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, in any kind of studio situation or small, stro- you know, speed light situation, that's fine. That's plenty. And it they're really so is. cheap that, you know, okay, you break one. It's $70, not $200. It's true. It's true. Um, and which I, is, I've which got, is a big difference. No, and I've gotten, I have at least one friend um, who has been using them and nothing, not a bad thing to say about them. Yeah. So I'm actually, I think I'm going to order some and give them a shot. Neat. Um, it's uh it's tricky. You know, I was down in DC last Friday shooting this congresswoman and we had to I was supposed to have an hour. I ended up with 20 minutes with her or less. <laughs> of course. And we had to shoot in this rotunda. I had to shoot against a white wall and then I had to shoot on this balcony with the with the Capitol in the distance. And these are all, you know, 50 100 feet away from each other right. these setups. Right. And I had to I only had, you know, my one, I'm not going to set up three different setups of lights. I can't carry that in my backpack. Nope. Um, so my assistant that I hired down there had to like, just run, literally run with the stuff to get ahead of me and the Congresswoman. Right. Um, and it's just, man, it's, it's tight getting that stuff done. Yeah. Um, and a a nice little kit that you could trust every time. Yeah. Would be pretty nice in that situation. I agree. Yeah. Uh, stuff gets expensive though. Well, you know, that's what you're, that's the price for being a professional sometimes, man. You got to you know, yeah. pay to play. Yeah. It's 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 frustrating sometimes. You almost want you almost want a mono light that is the same power as power and size of a speed light that you could plug in. You know, like a little mini mono light. Well, you know, you can. They they, they there's a company that just released um a power adapter for speed lights for both Nikon and Canon. I mean, it's really? prepos- it's preposterously expensive. It's like 180 bucks. But if you think about it, it's kind of it's kind of ingenious because then you, if you once you put the the speed light on AC power, then you could use something like the like the Vagabond, you know, like or you know, any, or any any sort of higher quality, higher power battery system, sure, uh, or just plug it into the wall and not have to worry about your. Uh, and then you know, obviously, you'll get the fastest possible recycle times and and uh, you know the most reliable performance. Interestingly enough, uh, Ellen Chrome make their Skyport system. Yeah, uh, their Transmitters are 134 bucks. The receivers are 99. Okay, sounds about right. That's actually at the Ellen Chrome site, so they're almost half the price of uh, Pocket Wizard. 
Pocket Wizards. Yeah, so and, just I mean, something interesting. And Radio Poppers are cheap too, man. They're not uh, ah, Radio Poppers too. There's lots of companies. I still true. think that like the the buff seemed like a for what I needed to do. The buff seemed like a good idea, and I'm surprised that there hasn't been a more solid, well designed name brand company that comes out that says. We're just as good as Pocket Wizard, and we cost half as much. Well, I think that's Radio Pop. That was like Radio Popper's mission statement. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the other, then the other, there is one other um, thing that we haven't really touched on, but is worth mentioning, which is the the knockoff, super cheap Chinese eBay flavor. Sure. Um, which is how I got my start. Um, you know, I couldn't dream of affording a Pocket Wizard system, so I went on. Uh, onto eBay, and I found this this system from Macaw. I think the company is called Gadget Infinity, uh, and the products were called the uh, the Cactus series. And it's this really super cheap. I mean, you pull them out of the box, and it's like, oh my god, I better not, you know, step on this or sit on it or look at it the wrong way because it's going to break. But it's this little teeny weeny thing. It's like like the size of the uh, you know of a standard car fob. You know, like a like the little remote for unlocking your car. I mean, sure. they're, they're super small. Uh, that sits on your hot shoe. And then the little um, receivers are about the size of a nine volt battery, maybe a little bit, yep. bi- a little bit bigger. And they have a hot shoe on them, and then a rather dodgy, you know, um, adjustment knob that's not terribly stable. Um, but uh, and, and, you know, they work. I would say seventy five percent of the time. Um, yeah. Which, and, and, but, you know, which sounds absurd. But if you're just figuring this stuff out and you're not like working in mission critical situations you can get a whole set of these i remember i bought the transmitter and then about five or six of these receivers the whole kit cost me like 110 or 120 dollars i mean sure the receivers are like 18 bucks you know i mean they're not they're not expensive at all um Uh, but but you very much get what you pay for a few years ago when i was getting started when i got rid of sync cables and before i got uh pocket wizards yeah buff used to make a transmitter and these receivers and the receiver kind of went it was powered in line with the power adapter of the light so you plugged it into the right. power of the light right and you plugged your power cable into it so it powered itself right and then it just had a little sync cable coming out of it and into the light like a little pigtail. um yeah it worked well actually no i remember i those. think i ended up giving it to meg and i think meg still uses it yeah that's a that's a fine system and then what's really cool i think about the other speaking of the CyberSync system um paul Seabuff has modified it so that if you decide that you want to upgrade your system to allow for the remote control functionality, the current, the current models, there's a, there's an option for that. So like, let's say you just want to start off small and just do, we'll call it dumb triggering. And then you want to upgrade to smart triggering by using the cyber commander thingy. Um, you can, you can make that choice, you know, later on down the road, which is kind of nice. It's very cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only other technology that we didn't really touch on that I think just to round everything out um, is optical triggering. And that, I mean, we, we've been mentioning it here and there, but it's really, it's really, it's one of the oldest of the, uh, of, of the technologies um, where essentially there's a little photo cell, a little, you know, circuit that is sensitive to, that, uh, to light. And you basically put it in line um, with the, with the sync trigger. And they come in a number of, flavors and varieties like like we said before the the sb80 and that luma pro um one that we just talked about have those built in but it's also very common for studio strobes like all of the paul c buff ones have them pro photo has them ellen chrome has them um it's and it's usually you can usually recognize them because they have like a little white like window or a little dome you know somewhere on the on the body of the unit which essentially is sensitive to other strobes so when it when it sees a light it goes off at the same time 
Um, and you can purchase, I actually have one or two just for emergency situations, uh, hot shoe pass through. So essentially it, it's got like a, a male hot shoe on the bottom so that you can stick it on your camera and then a female hot shoe so that you stick your strobe on there. And then it's got a big fat sensor on the front of it. So it'll, you can, you can turn any flash with a hot shoe into an optically slaved, um, strobe, which is super handy. Yeah. Two other quick things to throw in with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, there are also those crazy slaves that you uh, plug into a, uh, um, a lamp socket, like a light oh, bulb socket. Sure, sure. So it sees slaves and it just pops a flash. So you can basically turn a lamp into a flash. Right. Um, which are old school, but really could actually be really useful if you were lighting up a room, you know, and you just needed extra light or you actually wanted to look like a lamp that was on. Right. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say was that one of the advantages of using uh, an umbrella or a, uh, a, a Fotex soft lighter or one of those kinds of things mm-hmm. instead of a soft box is that the back of your of your light is turned inward towards the scene. Right. So that it's more likely that the optical triggers will see each other. It's true. Rather than having it bounce around the it, room and it, yeah. hit it. In fact, by default, I try to minimize the number of radio tra- you know, pocket wizards I have going. I generally start off with the transmitter on my camera, and then one, usually the main light, gets yep. the pocket wizard. Then all of the additional lights just uh, trigger See how many of them will slave optically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it can be a little tricky depending on their position and, again, line of sight. But uh, it works really well. Well, I we're going to have to give that a shot uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, definitely. That'll be fun. All right, I think we covered everything, huh? We've definitely covered a lot of ground. Uh, we'll, we'll include a bunch of the uh, products that we've been talking about in the show notes if anyone's curious. Uh, we got circuitous.tv. Yep. Circuitousconversations at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, circcon, at circconv on Twitter and at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter. Yep, and we always welcome feedback on the iTunes Music Store. If you sure. want to give us a rating or a review, that would be super cool. Indeed. And uh, your comments, questions, uh, and right critiques are more than welcome. So please, let us know what you think. Very well. Sweet. All right, later. Bye. Right on.